Hello, and welcome to Book Reviews Kill, a podcast about fantasy, sci-fi, and horror novels. I'm Evan. And I'm Chad. And you are joining us today for our recap and discussion of Caliban's War, book two in The Expanse by James S.A. Corey. I think it's safe to say this is a good series of books, Chad. We're in very (laughs) good hands. This is good. I am enjoying myself so much. So good. It would near on impossible in my mind for the books, the rest of the story to be anything, but just awesome. It's got to be good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure there will be kind of like, you know, hills and valleys, so to speak. Uh, I've heard there's a little bit of a dip in the middle of this, but I don't know. We'll see for ourselves, obviously. But, you know, Leviathan Wakes was was great. But this book, Caliban's War, does a much better job digging into these characters. The new ones introduced feel very well fleshed out and felt like great and necessary additions to the story. There was a lot more variation in the dialogue, in the conversations people were having. It just felt like so much more settled and like I had such a better sense of place and of characters and events. And ah, it was so great. I I totally agree. I have a little bit of beef with long series, especially that are eight, nine books in a row where each book has the same feel to it. And much like The Dark Tower, these books, each book, at least we're only too deep, so as so far, each book has its own unique little home that it lives in. And it's just, it's still part of the greater story. And it's not so estranged from the style of the first that it's off-putting, but it's it's very nice and fills the story out and keeps me engaged. And it's just kind of cool that I don't get a bunch of steaks in a row. It's like, no, they gave me some hors d'oeuvres and I'm getting a salad, then I'll get yeah. a meal. And then, yeah, it's a nice buildup. Yeah, I, uh, this this is definitely giving me like space Game of Thrones vibes. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I, obviously, there's a lot of different things happening here, but there's a few key things that are I giving me those like, vibes. This character is like that character. I mean, in Game okay, of so <laughs> it's mostly just it's mostly just like you know we've got this threat. They've got blue eyes, so there's that, which I thought was like okay, guys, <laughs> you're all <laughs> like you're both friends with George R. R. Martin. Like, come on. Right. Anyway, and we have Brienne of Tarth. I mean, Bobby. Yeah, Bobby. Uh, but, <laughs> but it's funny because, you know, they, they, these monsters have blue eyes. And one of the big things about this book, at least, um, is that there's this threat going on. And it is a very real threat, a, a, an existential threat to the entire solar system. But there's all this all this squabbling going on. And that's a really big part of A Song of Ice and Fire. You know, so there's there's that whole thing. It's like it's almost like we would be okay if we could just figure out how to unify yeah, exactly. and just face the one foe that's actually going to kill us all. Yeah, and um, I mean we've got the uh, point of view chapters obviously that are titled with just with the name, so that gave me Game of Thrones vibes as well. But you know, to to just sit here and compare this to a song of ice and fire is almost not really fair because it's definitely its own thing it is an outstanding couple of books so far i'm so excited to talk with you about all of this let's just get straight into the recap are you cool with that i'm cool with that all right let's go caliban's war begins on the jovian moon ganymede where a toddler named mei meng is kidnapped from her preschool by her doctor several hours later Earth and Martian space marines are attacked by a mysteriously strong bipedal monster, with Bobby Draper, a Martian marine, the only survivor. The Earth and Martian ships in orbit over Ganymede begin a bloody skirmish, which throws Ganymede, the breadbasket of the outer solar system, into chaos. In the aftermath, May's father, Prax Meng, desperately searches for his daughter in the midst of the societal breakdown on the colonized moon. Several months later, the crew of the Rosinante are tasked with delivering emergency aid to Ganymede. Prax spots James Holden during a food riot and asks the crew to help find his daughter. They agree and are able to trace her kidnappers to unused tunnels on the moon. Holden, Prax, and ship mechanic Amos Burton discover a secret lab. In the midst of a shootout with lab security, they accidentally release another monster who kills some of the lab personnel. In the wake of the battle, the crew find remnants of the protomolecule and the corpse of May's friend, who was being treated by May's doctor for immunodeficiency. The crew rush to escape the station as the colony continues to fall apart and make it back aboard the Rosinante. Bobby is brought to the peace talks between Earth and Mars occurring on Earth giving testimony regarding the monster attack on Ganymede. 
She violates diplomatic protocol and is dismissed by the Martian delegation, but is then hired by Christian Eva Sarala, who is leading the UN negotiations. Bobby discovers that Eva Sarala's assistant is betraying her, leading Eva Sarala to conclude that her UN superiors are trying to get rid of her. She then deduces that a group within the UN is responsible for the monster attack on Ganymede. Eva Sarala allows Bobby to be brought along as her bodyguard on a slow-moving yacht headed to Ganymede on an ostensible relief mission. On their way to Tycho Station, the Rocinante crew discovers a monster stowed away in their cargo hold. They are able to lure the creature out of the ship using radioactive bait before vaporizing it with the Rocinante's exhaust. The corvette is damaged during the encounter, but the crew learn more about the strange monsters from Ganymede. At Tycho Station, Holden confronts Fred Johnson, who he believes controls the only other sample of the protomolecule. Johnson denies involvement with the Ganymede incident and fires Holden's crew. Newly independent and without any active contracts, they help Prax release a video asking for help searching for May, raising enough money to continue the search. The video also discloses the protomolecule's presence on Ganymede. Upon receiving information about May's doctor, Prax realizes that the monsters are being created on a base on Io. With the Rocinante repaired, they set out to recover May. On board the yacht, Eva Sarala sees Prax's video appeal and learns that a UN detachment is heading to intercept the Rocinante. The yacht's crew prevent her from warning Holden, claiming that their communication systems are broken. When they refuse her demands to get the yacht repaired, Eva Sarala commands Bobby to take control of the vessel. Eva Sarala sends a warning to Holden, and she and Draper board a racing pinesse to rendezvous with the Rocinante. After meeting Holden's crew, Eva Sarala and Bobby share notes on the monster Bobby saw on Ganymede. Realizing that they are several days away from being destroyed by the UN detachment, Eva Sarala convinces the crew to let her send this information to her contacts within the UN to prevent an all-out war. Bobby and Eva Sarala then convince the Martian fleet to help protect the Rocinante. This culminates in a space battle between the UN detachment, the Martian forces, and a second UN fleet loyal to Eva Sarala. With the UN Security General recalling the Admiral hostile to the Rocinante, the battle ends in victory for the Martians and Avasarala's UN faction. The crew lands on Io, where Amos and Prax rescue May along with other immunodeficient children. Bobby kills a protomolecule monster using her new knowledge about its capabilities. The crew heads back to Luna, where the people responsible for the protomolecule project are brought to justice. Avasarala is promoted, Prax is hired to oversee efforts to restore Ganymede, Bobby returns to Mars, and the Rocinante takes a contract escorting a supply ship. Throughout the story, the solar system had been watching changes on Venus, which culminate with the launch of something gigantic and unknown pushing away from the planet, destroying many ships in its wake. The book ends with Holden watching the video feed of Venus on repeat when Detective Miller appears at his back saying, Holden, we need to talk. And immediately following that, Holden was like, wait one second, let me turn on my broad beam to the whole galaxy. <laughs> <laughs> I was just about to ruin things even more. Oh, man, uh, I was really not expecting Miller at the end of this book. I almost texted you, but I wanted to wait until th this moment. This is our first time talking about it. Wow, I... <laughs> I love how there was like that weird little blue firefly on him too. He like moved it away from his cheek or whatever. Like his yeah. Miller, I don't, I don't his, need, his radioactive I have no, familiar. <laughs> I have no idea what's going on with that. What what an awesome last line of this book. It was so cool. It was surprisingly awesome. And then I was immediately like kind of annoyed because I really <laughs> like Miller as a character who we remember. Right. I totally <laughs> agree. I was like, ah, this freaking guy again back. that's fine um i didn't not like miller but yeah i definitely i i don't want any i looked ahead in this in the next book in abaddon's gate i don't think miller has any point of view chapters i think holden is the only character that has consistent point i think he's a pov character in every one of the books okay um i think that they change i'm okay with like 
proto poltergeist Miller who shows up from time to time. I just don't want like, you know, we, he, he served his purpose. It was great, but, uh, you know, but did he though? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe he's, uh, maybe he's in charge of all the, what do you, what do you think is coming off of Venus? That was a really strange description. It was like these strands of like light and like a lightning storm. And then it like formed awesome. together and pushed all those ships out of the way. And like, what the hell did was that? Did you ever that? play Starcraft? No, I've never played it. Uh, the proto molecule is very Zerg like to me. It was like a very organic, uh, you know, in order to spread and build um, buildings, they have to spread this like ooey gooey substance over the ground to broaden their, you know, sphere of, of building. And the proto molecule kind of strikes me as very hive mind Zerg like. And so it's yeah. very like, organic and, and, and wet. <laughs> I, yeah, I know we're we're two books into this nine book series, and I'm sure it's going to get explained way more than it already has been. But that was kind of one thing about this book that I was kind of like, come on, like I just like wanted some some more kind of concrete. And I think that that's almost the point of the book is even the crew is just like, what the hell is going on? Like that, there's that one part where it's either Ava Sarala or Ava Sarala. I, I'm just going to say Ava Sarala in my I, brain. Yeah, me too. So there's that one part where Ava Sarala is looking at this video feed of, of a different ship in front of Venus. And it's kind of earlier in the book. And this ship gets like dismantled, like expanded out. And uh, and it was so funny because she's looking at this and she's thinking the same thing the reader is, which is, I, I don't have any explanation for what like, this could what, possibly be. <laughs> yeah, uh, man, that was, uh, yeah. that was really weird. I will double down on your statement. It's literally in my notes of like the one thing that I was a little disappointed on was the proto molecule story arc goes from one unknown to a new unknown making the previous question totally irrelevant because it's moved on and so should we but it was like yeah. i feel like we should have got an answer and then it evolved but it just went from like mystery thing doing mystery action to mystery though its current state of travel is more interesting than just hanging i think that i think we just aren't supposed to know i think the last two books uh, in regard to like the the proto molecule specifically and the weird things that it's been doing hopefully will be answered in a way that where it makes these last two books make a lot more sense um which i would really love that's the coolest part about reading big long series like this is you can kind of look back and be like oh oh my god like, and it's that... so impactful when you do learn because you've been waiting so long yeah, I, I think that's, and it's, you know, the authors almost, I think probably deliberately have so much going on. Sometimes you kind of forget about it. And then you'll <laughs> like, it'll be mentioned like this tentacle arms, like, oh, right. The yeah. alien Zerg creature. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's like Holden Julie, maybe. Yeah. It's, no, it's Miller Julie. Or, excuse it's, me. Miller or whatever. Julie, yeah. yeah. The proto molecule is now headed away from civilization, right? It's, I think it's headed away from, um, mars and earth yeah okay but civilization's kind of everywhere too right. so uh but i don't know why it wouldn't head the... toward like is it is it crafting itself it like does it not need venus anymore because there was a description that was i felt like really intentional right when it said in that last it was like the last couple of paragraphs and it said that venus looked like used up or something like that yeah um, like after that spent yeah like after that whatever that mass had kind of like left venus like venus is like all sad now so what i'm what <laughs> i'm wondering is, is what i'm wondering is like is it is it like leeching like resources off of planets or like using different planets as like a base of operations to evolve or something like that that's kind of yeah. like what i thought it might be i agree i think it needed material and it was just Maybe, harvesting yeah. what it could and uh had enough organic material apparently from the the arrow situation and now it's achieved the optimal size for whatever goal it has and i feel like it's moving into position whatever that means yeah, it did seem totally. and i guess this was probably just julie driven but it was very much earthbound at the end of last book it was and it that's why moving. i thought it was weird uh that it didn't go straight to earth um but yeah, i guess julie we'll find out all yeah. of it i don't know we'll find out that's that's fine yeah Probably very quickly, actually, because Holden obviously has some things to say, I'm sure. Holden always has things to say. <laughs> or, excuse me, I keep getting a mistake. Oh, you're saying Miller. Miller. But Miller I, was, I mean, I was about reveals. to start talking about Holden because, like, this guy, this Boy <laughs> Scout, man, like, I, I kind of liked him more in this book than I did in the previous one, for sure, because he seemed a lot more conflicted. He seemed a lot more ready to kind of say, oh, wow, like, I've been being kind of an idiot. And it's just something about him. 
he feels so like predictable you know like when he's on that ship dynamic he's on the ship with larson was that his name um it was it was when he went to uh noyan's ship um, yeah. to go try and get like those uh, the tracking for those things that have been sent from io um that noyan like wouldn't give up that was larson yeah and so like he's in there with him and he's like one of us has got to push this button you know and he's like <laughs> don't worry it's totally gonna be me of course and it's like oh, yeah holden obviously but I, thought, I just thought it was funny because larson was like i'll do it and holden was like cool see ya <laughs> right i'll do it major eye roll <laughs> But I mean, his his suit was cut. But which I thought was like really convenient that like Larson's suit was cut. You know what I mean? There's a lot of it... convenient things that happen in these books. But before we move on from Holden, sure, yeah, I feel like he was kind of the one character, and I understand why they did it. So I'll explain that in a minute. But he was, I feel like he was kind of dealed a small hand as far as growth and development is concerned. And I feel like the reason behind it is we're obviously going to be with him through probably all of the books. And so we have more time, whereas a character like Prax, like, you know, maybe we just spent more time building him emotional connection. We care. And then making his death or sacrifice more impactful. I don't know. uh, Uh, That happened. I didn't really like Pax very much. No, which is why I think he's going to die. I I don't know. Well, I mean, I don't think he's going to die. He's going to, well, I don't know. We might. Yeah. See him on Ganymede die or something but i don't know pax i i felt for the situation of course and i thought that he was a well-written character in the sense that like it got a, a sort of like reaction and emotion out of me um mm-hmm. because of the way that he was feeling there were a lot of really cool parts with pax where he was just kind of like sitting and thinking to himself the authors did a really good job at kind of conveying what it would feel like to reach that kind of like hopeless pit where you're just like man my it, she's dead like she's so dead he added a previously unheard voice to the story for sure. Yeah, definitely. But I just, um, I don't know. Eh, I just you spent the first like... hundred pages being like, why am I following this guy around? Yeah, I, it wasn't. <laughs> I did. It was just like, he was just kind of a boring character. I don't know. What, I just yeah, didn't think like he really needed the. Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. It's But Eva Sarala, though. Oh, oh, one of my faves, probably my fave. Yeah, I think every time an Ava Sarala chapter came up, I was just like, I just settled in. I was like, here we go. These are so cool. Which was oh, great. Man. And I don't know if this was intentional, but those were my least and favorite chapters because I liked her the most, but I didn't really like the political, the size of the political story in this book. I think it was necessary as we need to know it and understand the motivations and the the cogs of this world that we're in but i hope it doesn't become like half of the story i hope it's just like a thing we needed to invest some time in now to understand and then we can be like space fights see i really <laughs> i, I kind of disagree I, I really liked and this is very off brand for me i suppose but i really liked the political parts of this book a lot was it just because you really liked her well i really liked her but i thought that using bobby as kind of this uh fish out of water um person for me as a reader to like latch onto through all of this was really Random great tar. so <laughs> that's the last time you get to do that <laughs> no it's gonna happen every time <laughs> okay so but so like having bobby there was really awesome because i was a little bit confused about some things and then eva sorella would kind of like explain why there were multiple parts you know where uh, something would happen and then i would think wow that's probably bad and then eva sorella is really excited and then bobby is like why are you so excited and then oh, having that explained yeah having that explained to bobby and then uh, to me vicariously made the politics seem a lot more fun and one of the things that i especially liked about bobby being kind of the vehicle for us gaining knowledge was it wasn't because she was just like ill-informed or dumb it was she's like already a specialist in another thing so it was like she still gets to be cool and not know stuff which was gracefully done yeah, and she's Martian too. So she's super out of her element and really uncomfortable with this whole situation. Like there's even a part kind of towards the end of the book where it's like, wow, this is kind of a, you're going to have to tell me how a Martian is on board a Martian ship with a bunch of belters and a UN ambassador. What, what is going on? And then Holden is just like, it's a pretty crazy story. <laughs> like it's, it is a, a weird mishmash of all kinds of different people but that's really good that's what this should be that's it's it's what this whole the whole solar system should be acting like this in the face of this wild threat that is obviously a threat it's really nice 
It is. And it speaks to the greater kind of point being made that many times it's not an entire body that is corrupted or rotten. It's just a few bad operators, you know? And so it's like, we have people from each different power hierarchy finding a um, shared value and moral system and like goals, you know, altruistic goals. There's even a part where uh, Eva Sarala says something to the effect of like the, you know, the entire UN isn't one person, you know, there's, it's, it's all divided up and it's all just this big mess and some people can be trusted and some people can't kind of to that though. um, One thing that I thought was like kind of a, a little bit contrived, I guess, was this last battle, which was cool, which I really liked the the climax of this book. I thought it was great, well-paced, exciting. Um, but like the, the Martian ships just like, just agreeing to help like immediately, I thought was like, it wasn't bad. And there were a lot of things that made it make sense, but I just thought it happened like really fast. And like everybody's so constantly suspicious of each other. And like everyone's like so constantly on the brink of war that like, I feel like that Martian ship was kind of just like, Okay, yeah, we'll just start firing on this UN delegation. But I guess it kind of, like, you know, the reasons that it happened, like, kind of made sense, you know. Um, Eva Sarala was essentially just like, if you don't stop this right now, ev- the whole universe is going to die, basically. It's like, what- And that Secretary General came out and kind of, like, condemned the kind of rogue faction of the UN. But I noticed that in his speech, he didn't really say specifically who it was also and then like Aaron Wright turns and like just a lot of things happened really really quickly and I was kind of I was like a little difficult for me to keep up like okay so that guy switched sides and like the Martians are now attacking them and like the Secretary General just like believes Eva Sarala just like okay okay, whatever and then I just like kept reading there was definitely some subtle arcs that I missed for sure you know one of the best parts of this whole book (laughs) in my opinion was Amos I absolutely love him and giving him some more backstory, fleshing his character out, explaining why he acts the way he does, why he's quick to violence in certain situations like that. That was brilliant. I really liked it. And one of my favorite Amos lines is when Pax is kind of telling them like why the lab is on I on IO. And his explanation for for me as the reader, I was like, I am so lost right now. Like I don't know, I don't understand why he's coming to this conclusion and then at the very end of pax giving his whole spiel amos just says okay so the bad guys are on io and pax is like well yeah and then amos says well damn you could have just said that (laughs) and i was just like yes amos my guy that's perfect and i also really liked alex alex uh, that's what i'm that's what i'm saying kind of at the top of this episode is you know in 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 leviathan wakes we had naomi and amos and alex and amos and alex kind of felt like the same person a little bit naomi was like the love interest and it was like all right that's cool but i'd really like to know more and then in this book it fleshes all three of holden's uh, other crew members out so well to the point that i like all three of them separately and together way more than i like holden personally i mean i feel like we could probably be agreed in that we both always liked them a little bit more but now it's like not even close which is goes back to my statement i feel like i was a little disappointed in his growth like okay so when he sees the proto beast that so stows away on his ship yeah uh which was a fun scene yeah a little like again like kind of like the opposite of whatever the, that's convenient would be like i oh, picked their ship cool <laughs> i mean wasn't uh, it one of the <laughs> only ones that was on the ground I mean, the whole place was trying to evacuate. Yeah. <laughs> so I feel like... <laughs> Whatever, though. So he goes back, and he's just, like, enraged. Doesn't curb his enthusiastic judgment that he goes and slings at Fred by any of his previous in the last book's mistakes, which are all of which caused by incomplete information that he then acts upon. And he does that here and like ruins his only connection with the one political party he has any power with. Not to mention Naomi basically just saying, just don't do this. Like you don't have all the information. And then Holden's just like, I can't help myself. I got to go talk to him. But it's just, it got him fired. And obviously it worked out, but it's just, it's still just like, dude, Holden, like you, you have not talked to a single other person in this entire organization. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like Fred is literally the only person 
an OPA that has any information on anything. So you're not even going to like hang out while your ship gets fixed and maybe talk to a couple other people. Like I thought right. Fred Fred's reaction to Holden accusing basically accusing him you know in as many words accusing him i thought fred's reaction was completely warranted you know he pulled rank on holden and said look i'm like the leader of this entire faction in the solar system you work for me okay <laughs> i've been paying for everything for you this entire time i've you know holden is gonna have reasons to not trust people just like everybody else has reasons to not trust people but that's not that's it's not enough like there's there's I feel like Holden should have respected Fred enough and not held Fred's past against him either, which he does, which is really dumb. You know, I don't know. Like Holden I, is such a Fred. I would not hang out with that guy. Like he's really frustrating. Certainly wouldn't elect him captain and and follow him into battle. But yeah, I mean, at the very least, maybe go in and and question Fred before slinging judgment upon him. It just seemed. Like, cool, he's learned nothing. Is it going to take you starting three wars for the exact same mistake before you learn? And then what does he do right after that? He takes his Praxis information about May and blasts it out to the whole, which, like, probably is a good thing, but it just seems like, man. But it gets a bunch of UN, like, rogue UN factions, like, on their tail. You know what I mean? Like, like yeah, and, like, his just, wife is, like, on a campaign. Couldn't help putting it, putting that into the message. But as far as Holden being the captain, uh, I'm kind of on the fence about it. I feel like in some moments he really shines and he is a really good captain. And then it, it kind of gave me like a who better to be king than Bran the Broken like kind of moment when they were talking about all their roles on the ship. And then Amos is like, you talk better than any of us. And it's like, I feel like there's way more responsibilities a captain has than just talking to angry people, which obviously is a very good quality in a leader. But... This guy really loves acting without uh, thinking about anything, which is funny that Naomi had kind of said, like, you're turning into Miller, like, shoot first, ask questions later. And it's like, well, yeah, with regard to violence, sure. But he's always been impulsive this entire time. Like, he, I, <laughs> it's like his yeah, like, whole thing. Think first. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I thought that <laughs> yeah, uh, I... Naomi kind of getting on him about that was... Um, really cool i liked it yeah i thought it was an appropriate response by her i i would love to have a renewed faith in holden by him coming to some of these conclusions on his own uh because yeah i really need him to show some growth in the next book or so because like him being the leader and me just being annoyed by him constantly and so self-righteous like no one else can be as altruistic <laughs> as me uh he's such a boy scout it's like if it goes on too much longer without him evolving, I'm going to start judging his crew for still following him and trusting him, you know? So I hope they, he gets a, he levels up. Yeah, we might see it. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> it's a pretty terrible person who holds food as a quid pro quo for you being able to find your daughter. The one guy, I need some chicken or else I'm not giving, like helping you. It's just like, man. I mean, the whole station's falling apart and everybody's starving. I thought it kind of made sense. Like, I it's, guess. It, it was weird that it was like a specific kind of food, maybe. I think that was why it was messed up, you know? Uh, he's like, like I want specific. chicken. Yeah, <laughs> not just food. The, this food that I want or I'm not going to help you find your missing daughter. Yeah, I can kind of see that, actually, now that I'm thinking about it more. Because when I well, saw Amos, like, basically crush the kid's face in, I was like, geez, like, oh, my God. Like, this, <laughs> this is crazy. But then it kind of goes on, oh, go to explain Amos's whole situation, which I thought was very well done. Uh, did you catch that? About his growth right there or about Amos's like backstory um it was kind of like Amos didn't really like overtly say like what had happened to him but he kind of described something that had happened to other kids where he had grown up and it was just like a refresh very, my memory um it was like Stop popping in <laughs> like prostitutes would be would like be intentionally impregnated so that um for people with like a pregnancy kink kind of because of how rare um children were or pregnancy was and then after the kid was born he was basically just ditched or sold into something even worse or something and like that was amos kind of you you get the impression that that something like that or that specifically had happened to amos and that's why he's so hell-bent on helping somebody find their kid you know and the way that um uh, either daniel daniel abraham or ty, or ty frank wrote it um was really cool because it wasn't 
it wouldn't have really made a whole lot of sense for Amos to just start talking about it, but mentioning it and kind of like talking about it in a more like removed, distant kind of way and like right, letting me person. Yeah, like letting me as the reader kind of like catch up to that and make that connection was really great. I thought and it it like fit in with Amos's character. It was awesome. It was really good. Totally. And it fleshed out a lot of his motivations as well as why he's such a loyal crewmate, right? Because he was yeah. born not wanted. And so now once he found a place, it's like that is his home. Yeah. He will die for them. Totally. Yeah. Amos is definitely uh, I, I picture Alex as Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, it's just it's in my head because he's got like that southern accent kind of thing. And he's Even like he's really Indian. He's super calm and cool and collected you know and composed and just yeah i, I really thought that he's was awesome too that he, yeah, he, he is uh indian but he's got that southern accent because of just the way that people migrated to different areas on mars and stuff and the accents kind of get traded around and stuff i i love that i thought that was such a nice touch and that's what and would it, happen totally it's those little quirks especially as they get refined just one person having this little like weird thing about them that really like ground the story and bring it to life like a good example of this is Ava Sorala, not only does she have a foul mouth, which I love, is also she has pistachio nuts all the time and is constantly frustrating everyone by like leaving little her little <laughs> shrapnel pieces of the like nut her casings little way around. of pissing everybody off. <laughs> yeah. It's just real. I thought that Ava Sorala's um kind of like vulgarity was kind of annoying at first. Not at first. It was more like a like this would be annoying if it was used a certain amount, but the fact that it's used so much, like kind of brings it back up to funny again, you know, it's, it's like <laughs> yeah. this perfect amount. It's like every sentence. <laughs> so it kind of like really works. And she's like 70, which is really cool. And another thing that I really love about Eva Sorella is her husband, Arjun, who it doesn't have any POV chapters. We hardly ever see him, but it humanizes her so much. You know, she's she's got to put the mask on, as Arjun would say, you know, like she's still a person at the end of the day. She still has so much love in her heart. Her heart's in the right place. You see her motivations for doing the right thing. She actually cares about, you know, who'd have thought the whole solar system not being destroyed. That's one of the things that's definitely I kind of mentioned this in the episode previous, but it's just one of those things that's definitely really frustrating to read um, about. This is this is set hundreds of years from now when we've accomplished so much as the human race, you know, like we've we've done so many amazing things and it's just like, yeah, but as soon as somebody gets their hands on something that could potentially kill everybody, suddenly everyone's fighting over it. And it's just ugh. like it makes sense, but it's also annoying and frustrating. It's like, why this is why we can't have nice things, you know, right. like this is it, it sucks. It's, it's just a it's bummer. Pretty, it is a bummer, and it's kind of interesting, and I think very deliberate. Uh, so I don't think that it's overused because I think it's intentional. But it seems like every battle or reflaring up of a battle state where people are actively attacking each other is caused by false evidence, and then someone attributing a motive to some act or info that is actually not true whether that person who gave the false motives knew it or not, and then those in power using that potential manipulation of incomplete info to have their way and justify blowing stuff up. You know what I think is a really key aspect of that, if you wanted to dig into that a little bit, is um, there's multiple points where Eva Sarala admits that she's really scared, right? She confides in Bobby and says, I'm afraid. She confides in Arjun and says, I'm afraid. And I think that in my opinion, what's being hinted at here is that even these people that are in really high positions of power are operating mostly under fear and insecurity. You know, like Noyen um, and that's how I'm pronouncing his name. It's N G U Y E. It's Nguyen, I think. It's Nguyen. Um, but uh, Nguyen and Aaron Wright, anybody, like even um, her assistant, Shane, I can't remember his name. We shouldn't remember his name. That guy was an asshole. <laughs> but <Yeah. laughs> um, but everybody is operating kind of, you know, for themselves or like out of out of a place of fear. And it just so happens that Eva Sarala is operating out of a place of altruism, but she's also really afraid, you know, and a lot of her motives are to not be afraid anymore, which like 
totally makes sense. Uh, nobody wants to be afraid, but it just so happens that some other people are, af you know, afraid that this proto molecule will fall into the wrong hands. So then they feel like their fear is a justification for the rash acts that they need to commit, Horrific or they thing. or they use it. Um, not necessarily the fear, but they just they use these um, justifications of like protecting people and advancing the human race even more against some alien threat or whatever um and i think both of these books so far in this series we've we've done a really good job at kind of posing the question not necessarily answering it yet but posting posing that question much like we see in inheritance by christopher Paolini, which we're also reading right now of like okay so what where is the line like how many people need to die to ensure safety you know, how many people do we need to make unsafe to make more people safe? That's a really difficult when question. When does to the end justify the means? That's like a and who gets to make the decision? Exactly, and you know what is you know what's not helping is that this proto molecule, this this threat to the solar system, is not thoroughly understood universally. Here's what I think: okay. I think that um, this rogue faction like Aaron Wright and Noyan and stuff like these people that and um Jules Mao also yeah. I feel like they have more information than Holden and, and company do and the they're reader does out on us they're holding like out on us does, I think they know something I think they know something that we haven't found out yet um and I'm not trying to like justify their actions or anything and say like well if they have more information that they're so justified in doing what they're doing that's not what I'm saying but it's like I think that the the scope of their actions um, and like how drastic everything that they're doing is, it doesn't quite add up to just pure greed to me, you mm -hmm. know? So I hope we explore that more as we go forward. If it is right. just a pure greed thing, that's fine, that works. It's not the most unbelievable thing in the world. People do absolutely horrific stuff. It's just because they want greed and money and power, obviously, but I think there might be something else going on here. Yeah, or it's, you know, it could still be greed and self-gain and power, but they have, there's an unknown variable to us that they're setting themselves up for an event that they're kind of aware of and positioning themselves to take advantage of it when it does happen that we have no idea even kind of what it is. And I think it's proto-related for sure. I want to talk about Bobby a little bit. Okay. I freaking love Bobby. Yeah, Bobby was so cool. And, you know, it's it's an interesting thing because, like, her character uh, on, on a surface level is, like, very kind of base. You know what I mean? Like this mm -hmm. like this hardened soldier. She do what she says. She keeps her head down, keeps her mouth closed, follows but orders. There's something uh, that's a lot, like, deeper there, too, though, um, in, the, in that she's kind of, like, seeking out violence. Uh, and almost, like, I think uh, Eva Sarala hints at it, like, her own death towards the end there which is super dark and and deep i kind of wish that that had been explored just a little bit more i think that it, the 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 narrative kind of like leaned a little bit more toward into her being like this kind of stalwart like stoic soldier more so than her real feelings about all this stuff which uh i really enjoyed when she um like kind of had that explosion like that meeting between earth and mars uh, where she was just like, are we going to talk about this ridiculous monster that killed a bunch of people right in front of me? And then she gets rushed out and they're just like, we, we can't talk like that. We can't do it like that. And she's just like, why not? Why can't we do this? And so, like I said before, her being there for all of these political machinations that are going on, like if it had just been Ava Sorella in those chapters without Bobby there, I think I would have got a little bored of it. But her, she's kind of like the straight man like she's kind of like the the hard head who's like actually right about stuff instead of right. holden who's the hard head who's just hard-headed and stubborn you know like bobby felt stubborn for like a lot of really good reasons and bobby felt like somebody that when she was being really stubborn or when she was acting a certain way i totally understood like every facet of it yeah she was awesome mm -hmm. she was awesome i think some of the guilt that she might have which is leading to this perhaps want of self-destruction is caused by her own ability to know right from wrong, but her previous to now kind of being able to escape the chain of command where she's like, I follow orders because it's the right thing to do. Or now she's kind of working with Ava Sorella, Ava Sorella and is like, obviously there's 
you know, not all of the people on the other side of the field are bad. So I kind of need to start guiding my own path through this situation because it's a lot more complicated than the black and white world that the chain of command has kind of harbored me in. And it's almost now. easier to just like sit in that chain of command and sit in that rig regimented lifestyle and then to leave that and be in a vague job but she's she's i mean on paper she's a traitor you know right um which is also a very interesting thing it makes her a much more sympathetic character that she's still sticking with ava sarala because she knows this is the right place for her to be or maybe not exact for her specifically to be but it's the it's the place where she could do the most good and and her specifically i think even you know the chain of command also harbors a soldier from some of that guilt of having to do something they you know slaughter all these people well they were just following orders sort of thing it kind of moves up the chain and she's now an independent operator and so she's like kind of it's it's cool watching her navigate that responsibility because there's a freedom there but also a um, a heightened sense of responsibility. So you briefly touched upon it at the beginning, but do you think there's a similarity kind of being drawn between book one, uh, you know, trigger happy detective Miller and book two, I'll shoot you in the throat halfway through your sentence, Holden? Uh, I don't know. I felt like that kind of, that got kind of dropped a little bit when Hol Holden shoots Noyan in the throat. And then he's like, ah, oh, sorry, I know you're going to be mad at me about that. And Naomi's just like, no, that guy had to die. And it's just like, oh, okay. So he was like, a sociopath. This, but like this guy had to die, but it was like bad when Miller did it to Anthony yeah. Dresden. It's like, it's like kind of literally the exact same situation. So and that's my frustration. He doesn't realize it. Well, I think he realizes it, you know, I just thought, yeah, that scene was weird because it was like, he does realize it, but only to the extent that he knows it's going to piss Naomi off. And then Naomi's even like, nah, it's cool. Don't worry about it. It's like, wait a minute. We just spent like two books setting up this whole thing about how maybe you shouldn't shoot first and ask questions later. And now it's like, nah, it's cool to do it in like literally the same situation you got upset about in the previous book. So um, maybe it's like setting Maybe it's a way of complicating Holden's character a little bit more because like maybe in the third book, he's going to have to wrestle with that a little bit. That'd be cool. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, th I thought that was kind of strange for Me sure. Me too. Yeah, I, f I feel like if the scene in the Bible where the, the village is about to stone the woman and Jesus is like, whoever is without sin, cast the first stone, we would hear like a mumbled once again i have to do all the hard work quickly followed by a rock hurled from holden who like <laughs> winks at jesus being like i know who you were talking to big guy <laughs> like... yeah i don't know um i don't want to like spend the whole episode crapping on holden but yeah he's pretty he's pretty easy target but um obviously <laughs> we're only two books into a nine book series so you know i feel like like you said earlier like there's a lot more growth uh potentially for everybody um and you know Holden, I feel like, does a really good job under pressure, which is a very good mark of a good leader. There's a lot of cool moments when they're in kind of the, these pitched battles where Holden is really calm and really collected. But then also, there are some other moments where he's barely clinging on, you know, like when they're on Ganymede and Holden realizes for the first time that potentially they're, the protomolecule is in a very close proximity to them. And he is, he barely handles his way through that situation, which I kind of liked, honestly. Like, yeah, I really liked the, trauma. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was a, a really great way to show that. Like, it was, he is, he's got some PTSD. Like, he's got some issues after watching what happened on Eros, just like anybody would, because <sighs> that was a lot. You know, and he, yeah. he, he's like, in his mind, he's like, oh my God, I'm about to see the same thing happen right now and this is this is all happening all over again and even amos has to be like hey are you okay because we gotta <laughs> we got stuff to do like right now and you're our leader uh is he still their leader like i don't know okay like, i don't know i felt like halfway through the book he was like hey guys um i just want i just want everyone to remind me that everyone here thinks that i can do this job better than everyone else right okay vote yeah okay, i don't we're good, think we're good, that's what that conversation was <laughs> I just got annoyed with him, so I started looking for ways to. I, I mean, I thought that that conversation was really important because after Holden and crew got fired from the OPA, 
I, as a reader, was kind of just like, well, what the hell are they supposed to do now? Like, we're, we have nine more books. Like, what the hell? Is, they're just going to, like, float around space hanging out. But I really like that because Holden was basically saying, okay, so we're all together. What are we supposed to do now? And I, and I was kind of feeling like that, too. So it was a really nice conversation that they had kind of settled on some things. Um, it didn't really feel like the crew was really dividing other than Naomi leaving, which I knew Naomi was going to come back. And I don't I feel like she didn't even really leave like it. No, she was like, I'm going to go do my own thing for a couple days. Like if I hear that you killed Fred or something, then, yeah, I'm actually gone. You know, it felt but, like the authors were like, we need to have him make him some like hard decisions because we character growth when it really just kind of came off as character ungrowth and then regrowth to exactly where they were before. But whatever, I will say for Holden's sake, one thing that he really does a good job at and what all leaders should strive to do is using the expertise of the people around them. He's like very quick to being like, you're the best at this. What should we do in this situation that pertains to your skills? And he's very, uh, he, he's not so prideful that he doesn't use the knowledge of those around him. And I, I respect that a lot. Okay, I think I just missed this a lot. But what was it about May specifically that made her the viable test subject? Was it her autoimmune disease? Okay, so I think I, I think I know. This. Okay, I'm glad uh, you're not like an idiot. I mean, I kind of, <laughs> I kind of know. Um, I don't know the, the the specifics, but it seemed like um, these kids with this immunodeficiency. So, like the the issue with the kind of like monsters. And fun fact here, uh, Caliban is a uh, a character from the Tempest uh, Shakespeare's Shakespeare, yeah. Tempest, who is like half man, half creature. Um, so I think that that's why the book is called Caliban's War. But anyway, so the the issue with these Caliban's, if you will, with these with these kind of like hybrid protomolecule people monster things, um, is that they can be, I guess, programmed to a certain extent, but then they're not able to be controlled, and that's an issue, obviously, because they want to. It seems like they were trying to weaponize them to some degree, and they can't be controlled. So I think that they were experimenting on these kids because their immune systems were similar in that regard. You know what I mean? Okay. I, I don't know the exact, I couldn't tell That's you. That's good enough for me. Yeah, I couldn't tell you, like, when Prax was, like, describing it and there were a couple other conversations that were trying to discuss it, I was just like, this is a lot. Like, oh, my God. Yeah. I don't need, like, <laughs> when the cellular flagellum goes, like, no, 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 just, like, she's a viable candidate medically. Cool. Yeah, that kind of leads me into, like, another... I guess I kind of like complained about this a little bit on the last episode, but I mean, there there is so much jargon in these books, the, <laughs> and it's it's good for uh, setting and, and and immersion and stuff like that. Obviously, like I do feel like I'm on a spaceship. It's awesome. I'm out in the space battle and stuff, but like sometimes, man, like there's like a that part. It's like the parts before and after that monster. They were like directly dealing with the monster that was on their ship. It was like they're just like fixing stuff and talking to each other about fixing stuff and talking about the way they're going to fix stuff. And it's just like, dude, this is kind of boring, honestly. <laughs> like, right. There's is... a fine line. Like when I'm yeah. reading a sailing fantasy novel, I want them to use sailing terminology, but not to the point where they're like, there's a leeward coming off the prow side. So you better haul your skivvies or else we're going. You know, it's like, I don't know. <laughs> But like, <laughs> you know. but to be fair, like, what other language should be should they be using? You know what I mean? It, sure, it, it makes sense because it's 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 like it's kind of on me as the reader. I'm like, I don't understand what these words are. It's like, well, then look them up, Evan. Like, you're reading science fiction. You're reading about spaceships. Like, do a little legwork. You know? Yeah, I know, but it's but just, like I said, there is a fine line between <laughs> understanding and you know immersing you in their world. So, and I think you know occasionally it tarried over to the wrong side of it, but not to a point that I was annoyed. Oh no, I never like I never like put the book down. I was like, I don't understand any of this. It was just you know there were just parts where I felt like my eyes were glassing over a little bit, and I was just like, I don't even know what. <laughs> There's like a whole paragraph of words that I don't understand. <laughs> but maybe I should just pause and. I've got my phone right next to me. Just is there an index at means. the back? No. I haven't looked. No, there's not. But I should just look it up. Like, I'm sure there's Expanse wikis. I'm sure there's all the resources I would ever need. So, folks, if you're listening right now, I won't complain about this on the next episode. <laughs> I'll just <laughs> do it the way I'm supposed to do it. <laughs> this is too hard. This is really difficult, guys. I don't know what any of these words mean. Oh, so hard. Like, I got a dictionary? Though, 
while we're talking about things that we have to look up, I'm going to go back to the title yeah, because sure. I was a little annoyed as I had to do some extracurricular research to figure out why it was called Caliban's War, because at no point is that word within the confines of these almost 600 (laughs) dense pages. It was like, man, if you couldn't fit it in there, like maybe just give me one little paragraph about the history of like, did you know? And it's like, Give me yeah, they could have pulled up like... Shakespeare on one of their uh, little iPads, you know, like the yeah. terminals. That would have been kind of cool uh, if, like, if like Naomi was reading The Tempest or something and said, "Oh, this is weird. Those things. That's like Caliban or something." Because, right. like, you know, I mean, I it's like, I, re- I, to... I read a decent amount, but you know, I didn't, I didn't know it was like a character from The Tempest. I'm sorry. <laughs> Neither did I. Right. Uh, and I've like done the play. <laughs> oh really? Oh wow. Yeah. In high school, but still. Apparently, none of the book's titles have anything to do with what's in the books. I looked it up. <laughs> They're all like allusions to something else. So Abaddon's Gate is like something else. Biblical. That's not, yeah. Is that biblical? Oh, yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, Abaddon uh, is like Lucifer's right-hand man. Oh, wow. Um, that's, and he guards the gate to hell. Ooh, this is going to be pretty dark then. <laughs> oh, my the God. Uh, and then, you know, like Cibola Burn. And I mean, Nemesis Games, uh, that could probably apply, maybe um yeah but yeah i don't know uh tiamat's wrath they're cool names for title uh, they're cool titles for the books but um yeah i kind of fell into that like when is this cibola guy gonna come up or when is this caliban guy gonna come up <laughs> I, I agree and it, it just made me annoyed that if you can't contain your entire story within the story like come on man it's like that's the point that's where the story should be told. You have a place for it, put it in there. I know, Don't and that's why Google I thought it. it would be really cool if somebody was reading The Tempest, because it's like it's not a big deal that it's a, a reference to The Tempest. That's totally fine, but just like include it in the the thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah, it's, yeah, exactly. Like put the story in the story. Um, I think it was also like the the secret test that or the secret mission or whatever that Protogen was running was called Caliban's like mission. Or What's something. it? <laughs> yeah. Oh. I missed that. I believe so. Oh, oh, it wasn't in the books at all. Oh, okay, okay. I was like, <laughs> yeah, I learned this no. extracurricularly. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, and also I haven't watched the show, and uh, um, it seems like maybe some stuff is like covered differently or um, with more detail or more succinctly and like uh, coherently in the show sometimes, which is interesting. But I don't want to watch the show like while I'm reading the books because I guess they, they did change like a decent amount of stuff. So I don't mm-hmm. want to get my wires crossed there. The season one goes immediately into the politics on Earth. You're introduced to Ava Sarala uh, in the show in episode one. Oh, cool. Yeah. Wow. All right. Maybe I kind of want to watch it now. No, I'm not going to. But Kurt is cooler, it. though. Okay. So I don't want to just take us down a rabbit hole of just like, that's a ridiculous thing to talk about. But like, I don't know. We talked about some weird food stuff with the chicken earlier. So I'm going to just kind of add to it. Pizza party? A pizza party. The, a piece, wait, what are you talking about? They come across uh, all of oh, like, that was the weird, secret yeah. agents. <laughs> like the whole place is being evacuated. But like in the room right next to where they find the dead body, of like there's like a pizza party happening. Like, what? A party around pizza? That was kind of odd. During I think evacuation? That, I think it was supposed to show that those were definitely not people that lived on Ganymede. Because the people that lived on Ganymede wouldn't be eating pizza because they're all like starving and stuff. So I think that was like the way of showing like these are very this is a very different set of people, right? They're eating pizza, you know, but that is (laughs) I forgot about that because it was so off that I was just like, whatever. (laughs) She had like a bite. She had like a whole piece of pizza in her mouth and then he like shoots. Yeah, that was okay. Yeah, it seems so like evil monologue, you know, like it would be. The only thing that could have made it worse is if they were like, well, yeah, we stole the money for this pizza from those kids that we experimented on. <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, we get it. They're bad. <laughs> Did you think that it was kind of convenient that Prax sees Holden and he's like, oh, I saw four minutes of video about you being super altruistic. You're doctor information. You're probably doctor kidnapper too. Help me out. And then they're like, yeah, let's team up. It just seemed... I did think it was weird how quickly, like, they're there for relief efforts. Um, and so technically they're doing their job, but it's like they kind of, I feel like they kind of ditched, like, the whole reason they were there on, like, a on like a grander scale, which is what their mission was. I guess if you think about it, like, maybe their mission was just to drop stuff off. 
and then like what just hang out there for i don't know uh but i, I did think it was kind of like oh they're just gonna help this guy like immediately with like this one problem uh when this entire place is just like falling apart yeah, they're like but, people are escaping in just suits nobody needs a ship with extra room we'll, we'll just help you <laughs> yeah that was a little odd but then it made a yeah. lot more sense um once they kind of realized how tied in may was with everything Oh, it and was they, the right and move. They, and they figured it out really quickly, so it kind of assuaged like all of that for me, where it was like I was willing to suspend a little disbelief because it was like obviously the right way for the story to go. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um but yeah, definitely I was like, there's no reason for them to help this guy <laughs> like at all. <laughs> uh but you know, he nailed it in his um his radar for good people who try to do good things and you know, uh, because Holden is that. I feel like, and I've complained about this in past podcasts, and you never seem to have a problem with this, so I think it's just a personal issue, but I really wish that authors would take the time to leave me a line of like, and while they were waiting between missions to go kill another space pirate, the uh, crew trained with the close quarters expert who led the squad team for the OPA and learned squad maneuvers. Because they get into these gunfights, and they're grossly outgunned every time, but they all survive. And it's like, give me a reason so I believe that. Yeah, I think it's just kind of like a, this is the main crew in Star Wars and the, the stormtroopers just happen to miss a lot kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I do I do hear what you're saying, though, because like... The Millennium Falcon will never be shot down. <laughs> and it's, it's something that... So we're two books into this, and obviously this, this series is going to get a lot different, and we're going to end up eating a lot of our words as this goes on and we appreciate everybody that's listening right now that's read the entire series and is just kind of humoring us right now um but reading this book and the and the and the one previous and like the myriad action sequences that i really love that i think are coordinated really well uh there is like a, a small part of me that's just like all right is this going to turn into like a drit steward and kind of like they get into like five or six different skirmishes a book and they just all come out clean every time and round and Rocinante round we go. does it too. Yeah. Just gets yeah. through like a whole fleet blockade. It's like torpedo dodge. Torpedo I know dodge, that was torpedo. kind of funny when like <laughs> Alex landed and, and Holden was just like, how did you do that? And Alex is just like, <laughs> I'm <laughs> just that good. Yeah. It's like, okay, man. Like, <laughs> all right, McConaughey. <laughs> I know. That's why I have like that. All right. All right. Like we're just going to bring down the Rocinante at a different part than nobody's looking at. <laughs> and I'm going to look good while doing it yeah but that's fine there's a certain kind of like style to these books that i really enjoy there's there's like this kind of like laid back energy to a lot of things in these books that is awesome i think it's great for science fiction sci-fi can feel a little bit stuffy and overbearing now and then like comparing this to like remembrance of earth's past which is like really intense and really heady and really uh does not really hold your hand through like any of it you know what i mean and then like reading something like this it feels just a little bit more like accessible it feels a little bit more like kind of an action movie kind of thing where it's like no not 100 percent of like literally everything needs to fall neatly into place and make a thousand percent sense all the time and um i think that daniel abraham and ty frank do a really good job at like presenting you with these really intricate plot lines giving you a lot of good mystery and also supplying you with action scenes that feel really exciting despite any kind of like conveniences or contrivances or anything like that because like yeah those exist they're there but they're in every book they're in every yeah. series they're all over the place you know we've talked about not, it multiple times on here they're not afraid to beat the heck out of their snow globe with uh, which i love and uh you know i always have the ultimate justification for those seemingly acts of repeated miracles which is stories don't get written about the people who aren't lucky of course yeah, totally you know, in yeah. fact of all the stories out there it's pretty likely that one person would be that lucky that many times in a row okay as we begin to wrap up here i have a question and then we can move on to maybe some predictions sure do you think that this book is a character driven plot or a narrative driven plot yeah i don't know i feel like a lot of the these two books at least are really focused on how people feel about things you know like we're dipping into eva sorella and you know her her son 
dying in a skiing accident, the way she feels about her husband, the mask that she has to put on, the way she feels about the mask that she has to put on, the fear that she's feeling that she feels like she needs to constantly cover up. Like those things are what's driving the actions that affect so many other things that are going on. So yeah, I feel like it's I always mean, just like so intermingled, you know? Yeah, you're right. It's really hard because you could say like how at the end of the day, everyone is limited to a set of choices. So it's like, what, when are you truly free to leave this story? But I don't know. I just, after a lot of thinking about it and with my definition of that, the proto molecule, a thing, um, not them is leading this story. I landed on narrative, but you know, I feel like it's important to say that that does by no means doesn't mean that the book can't or doesn't have good characters or growth. It's like, that's totally fine. It's just who's leading it. You know, she can have a totally emotional reaction within the set of story that is forced upon her. Huh. I like your take on that. That's cool. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I have a question for you and it's, uh, <clears throat> we didn't really get to see too much of this Strickland guy or Carlos, I guess is his real name or, um, you know, there, there wasn't a whole lot of information there. And then when they finally do confront him, um, he seems what, what did you think about that? Did he seem like really genuine in like, I don't wanting know. to help out? I don't know what that was all about. Like Amos felt... just kills him. We're just killing people. Like... Yeah. I, I don't know. I got the sense he was like a man with his back. He was like Dresden without the sociopathic calm. And that he was like, I'm, I have no more outs. So I'm just going to try to talk my way out of it. Blah, you know, and it was like. Yeah, but like take him prisoner or something. Like we're just murdering everybody, and that, and that kind of connects to what I'm I was saying before. Of like maybe these people have really useful information. You keep fucking killing them. Like stop. Like <laughs> needed this, to go. Like this situation is so bad. Like it's so nobody. Like the more information you have, the better off everyone's gonna be. So stop killing the people that have information. Like you think the these guys are just starts every war, right? And it's like what you think that these big baddies just have literally the not the same not even just the same amount but the same kind the same flavor of information that you do so it's like perfectly reasonable to kill them because they're just no longer useful to you it's just uh, why why would you do that a waste uh, of whatever. an asset kill them later <laughs> they're they, you can kill them tomorrow but amos at least in amos's case he said earlier in the book he's gonna do it you know what i mean like that was kind of i thought that worked uh, i'm still annoyed about it because it's like this guy has so much cool information but at the same time like amos was like like so many chapters before like i'm gonna find whoever this is and i'm gonna kill him I'm and then he just him. does it and amos uh his backstory and everything like really feeds into that so yeah i'm gonna yeah, I'll, that, gi I'll give that a pass that locked into perfect alignment of like yep he's a man of his word he sets his eye on something and he does it all right, let's do a couple predictions here and then call it a day. Okay. Man, it's like I feel almost unfulfilled because there's so much to this story. You know, yeah, it's like so I feel like we more. haven't done a service. We could be here for three hours, but people probably don't want that. So <laughs> we I'll have, allow we have uh, seven more books. So yeah. we're, we're going to don't worry, everybody. <laughs> We're going to be talking about this so the much. The boomerang will come back yes, around. It will. Uh, okay, so what do you think is the ultimate goal of the protomolecule if it has one? What do you think it's trying to do? I think it's a first contact program. It's a non, well, I was going to say non-threatening, but it hasn't proved itself to be that. It's a interesting way of approaching another race or a potential race and being like, here's a way to give us a call, maybe. A call? Yeah, get in contact with us. Interesting. Like when yeah. you're ready, it'll be there for you. Oh, but then what? But why would it mutate everything? Like, why wouldn't it just be, you know? Uh, I don't know. Like, I think it's like malevolent. I think it's it's there to like wipe everything out. At least that's how yeah, I feel. It. Like, maybe is it? Sentient? It was headed towards Earth, but I guess program? that was Julie too. Yeah, she just wanted to go home. That was like a thing. Yeah, that was weird. <laughs> but, bound. but yeah, like why would it like it like turns humans into soup like that can't be good right no. i mean that's not like, if 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 i was an alien civilization and i was like let's make contact with these folks i wouldn't be like <laughs> how do we turn them into soup uh Standing and it's also little, like arrow station like huh not what we had in mind well and it's also like implied that it was sent on an asteroid to earth to kind of like stop 
um, life from evolving on Earth, or at least, if not stop it, then change the way that it did it. Um, I call bullharky. I also, uh, so I don't quite not believe that, but at the same time, I also think that the only people we've heard that from are the people that were trying to use it for their own benefit. So I don't necessarily believe that. So right. I don't really have much of a prediction about it. It just seems like, like oh, something that was designed to, maybe it was like sent by an alien race to further populate. Maybe it is an alien race. You know what I mean? And then they saw that earth was ready for life and they were like, oh, but there's already some there. Let's just send ours over there. Or something. Right. I don't know. I don't or know. maybe it was going to turn into humans originally, and then they're like, that failed, and they dropped us off <laughs> later. But, I mean, you're telling me that the alien race that can make the protomolecule, put it on a moon, slingshot it towards the Earth, didn't know that it would then get caught by Saturn or whatever's right. gravity? Right, yeah, that's like, another they don't know really good question. Yeah. Like, I feel like <laughs> it just happened. would have figured ah, that one out. Like two billion years ago, they're just like, dang it. Dang it. That planet was behind the other one when we did our calculations. <laughs> we didn't see it. <laughs> oh, they, that thing was huge. We should have seen that thing. Saturn is big. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. We'll find out. Alex and Bobby? Or is it Amos and Bobby? I felt some vibes with one of them. No, I don't see it. Like, Bobby was never... Because there was a moment where Bobby was like, I want to I wanna be around somebody because I'm just, like, sad and anxious and stuff. Um, like, right before that battle in the climax. And uh, she had considered going and visiting Alex. Um, but then she knew that it would, like, give the wrong signal. And she wasn't... I, I don't think Bobby or Amos or Alex... Um, I think it was a cool idea to just, like, have platonic mm. relationships in here and just keep them that way. Bobby's like a pretty complicated character. She doesn't seem like it. That's why I like Bobby so much is that she doesn't really seem like a super complicated character and uh, heaping more <laughs> like conflict onto Bobby. Does, she's also like super smart and she knows like if I get into her like a thing with one of these guys, like I'm not going to yeah. want to go home or something like that. You know, it just made sense to send Bobby home and be with her family on Mars after the ordeal that she went through. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I think part of her, um, kind of arc is the realization of her problems is the realization of how complicated she actually is. <laughs> She's not uh -huh. just a drone that follows orders. She thinks and knows right from wrong and has the freedom to choose and affect things, you know? Oh, best prologue of all the books. I predict this one was the best prologue of all the books. We're only on the second one. <laughs> it was so good. It was really good. Yeah. This I like awesome it. battle I like... that then starts another battle. Yeah. I thought it was good. Wait, don't no, wasn't the prologue just May being taken away? Oh, I think you're right. I yeah, just have it was it a so good beginning. Yeah, brain. it was a good beginning yeah. to the book. Um, but yeah, I think the the prologue was pretty tame. Actually. Right, my prediction is died before it even got off, got onto its feet. <laughs> well, everybody, I think that's going to do it for us today here on Book Reviews Kill. Thank you for listening to our recap and discussion of Book Two in the Expanse. Caliban's War was great. I liked it more than Leviathan Wakes. And you can join us next time when we recap and discuss Book Three. Abaddon? Is it Abaddon? I think it's Abaddon, yeah. Abaddon's you, Gate. I think Abaddon? I want to start another conversation I, again. I like this one just a little less than the first one. Oh, interesting. Oh, yeah. wow. I, I was like yeah. wrapping up. <laughs> I also think Prax is going to die in the next two books. <laughs> uh, I flipped through a little bit uh, the third book, and there's no Prax chapters. Oh. Or Evasarala chapters, or Bobby chapters. Wow. Which is uh, interesting. I hope that doesn't spoil anything for anybody. But if you made it this far into the episode, then you have more patience with us than uh, than just me spoiling stuff. So <laughs> I appreciate you being here. Uh, yeah, we'll see what's going on in book three when we get to it, which will be next week, everybody. So thank you so much for listening to this episode. Hope all of you have an awesome rest of your day. And of course, happy reading. Bye, everybody. <laughs>